My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. And welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Kim Hines, Hugh Lampkin, and Cynthia Travers. One big part of our society's response to homelessness and poverty that is, when we don't just ignore such things completely, is to blame the people who face them. This happens in obvious ways in responses that are harsh and punitive, but also in more coded ways in many responses that seem to be more sympathetic but that focus on charity rather than on justice. Too often, those of us who are not homeless ourselves read these experiences into a framework that attributes them to bad choices and bad luck, rather than seeing that it is systems that we could collectively challenge and change that push people into poverty and homelessness. From an economy that depends on some people living in poverty, to a lack of affordable housing, to inadequate supports for women and children facing gendered and sexual violence, to inadequate and often harmful systems for responding to mental health issues and addictions, to the founding colonization and genocide that have made North America what it is today. Kim Hines, Hugh Lampkin, and Cynthia Travers are all people who have lived experience of homelessness. Hines is an anti-poverty activist involved in a number of groups in Victoria, British Columbia. Lampkin is the vice president of the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, or VANDU, which does work related to social justice, drug policy, and harm reduction in Vancouver. And Travers has been active in multiple projects related to homelessness and poverty in Kamloops, B.C. Both Hines and Travers are also active participants in the Lived Experience of Homelessness Network, a growing initiative bringing together people who are, or who have in the past, been homeless, to build relationships, to speak up, and to push for change. Currently, all three of them are involved in planning an action called the Poor Person's Walk. The idea began in a conversation between Hines and another person with lived experience of homelessness, Al Weeb. The idea was inspired in part by the U.S.-based Poor People's Campaign, led by Martin Luther King Jr. in the late 1960s as a multiracial movement for social and economic justice, which they later learned has been revived by a new generation of organizers in the current era. Hines put out the call through the growing networks of people with lived experience of homelessness and got an enthusiastic response. The details were still evolving at the time of the interview, but the plan is to begin the walk on July 25th in Victoria. It will last for five days on Vancouver Island, traveling to different communities and neighborhoods. In each location, the plan is to create opportunities to have conversations among people with lived experience of homelessness, to engage in dialogue with a range of other organizations from faith groups to unions, and to host workshops on a range of related topics, including decriminalization of drugs, rights related to housing, the overdose crisis, and so on. The March in Vancouver will bring together Vandu, tenants groups, and other popular organizations to do something similar. The plan is for the Victoria walkers to take the ferry across and meet the Vancouver walkers, and for them to proceed together to a final destination in the community of Surrey, where homeless people are currently facing even higher levels of stigma and repression than they do everywhere else. 
Similar walks may be held elsewhere, though plans in other communities, including Kamloops, are at an earlier stage. The goal for the walk is to give people with lived experience of homelessness a chance to share their experiences and to build skills and relationships both among themselves and with sympathetic allies in the broader community. A key element will be elevating the voices and stories of people with lived experience as central to any approach to addressing homelessness. And the hope is that in so doing, it will be possible to weave together concern not just for poverty, homelessness, and housing, but for other important issues on the West Coast, like protecting the salmon, stopping pipelines, decriminalization, ending racist policing, and respecting indigenous sovereignty. They hope to advance a vision of collective care and support in the face of a society that currently pushes its most vulnerable members into homelessness and into other forms of violence and harm. I speak with Heinz, Lampkin, and Travers about homelessness and about the complex issues with which it intertwines, and about the upcoming Poor Persons Walk on the West Coast. And please note that the first section of the interview includes them telling parts of their own stories, sadly much abbreviated from the interview due to time constraints, and that listeners should be advised that some of those stories deal with difficult, painful experiences like interpersonal violence, sexual abuse, addiction, and suicide. I'm Cynthia Travers. I am the self-proclaimed voice for the homeless here in Kamloops, B.C. I am also chair of the Lived Experience Committee, and I sit on the national chair for Lived Experience of Homelessness National Gathering. I was born and raised out in the bush, and teepees and tents were our homes, and now that's what people are called homeless. For me, volunteering was part of life, it was part of family, it was part of community. I never actually heard that word until I was 16 years old, and I was walking home to my apartment from my full-time job at quit school. I was listening to CBC Radio, and they were talking about how everybody should volunteer 25 years of your life to the community you live in. So I walked straight by my apartment. I went straight down to the elementary school. And today, a lot of those students that I started working with are doctors and lawyers. And uh, yes, I come from a very large family, and I know 29 different abuses up close and personal before I was 16. So that really has created who I am. I found out what death was at the age of five. I've been taking care of the world since. Everybody tells me I'm great, I'm wonderful, but for me, this is just who I am. This is what I do. I don't like injustice. I never found out until 1992 that I'm actually Métis. My mother told me that if I kept my big mouth shut, nobody needed to know. But I told her, I said, well, I'm terribly sorry, Mom. I said, but God did not give me a big mouth to keep it shut. All <laughs> you tell me who I am, I am not going to be quiet about it. Since then, I spent most of my life running from abuses. There was actually one gentleman, no matter where I hid, no matter what rock I crawled under, he would find me. He was my stalker. He actually had me in captivity. And I say captivity because there was bars on the windows and I was chained. And yeah, that was a very horrifying situation. It just made me a little bit tougher, not stronger. I turned 60 years old on the streets here in Kamloops. I became homeless here last year. And for me, I had had enough of running, hiding, and just taking so much crap. I just had enough. 
And I drug my cart to City Hall, and I was crying when I was talking to the secretary, trying to figure out who could I talk to, how do we get some kind of help. And down the hall comes the substitute mayor that's standing in, and I ask him straight up, just what the f was he going to do for the homeless people in Camelot? How do I carry on a normal life? So that was the day that I stepped up and became the self-proclaimed voice for the homeless. And yeah, I've been raising hell ever since. I actually resigned from everything here just over a week ago so that I can step up to do the walk in Victoria, get our own walk happening here. I'm Hugh Lampkin. I am the current vice president of VANDU. It's an acronym, Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users. It's a drug user organization. We do harm reduction, but we also do social justice, drug policy, and a lot of peer work. Our membership is made up of past and present users of illicit drugs. Our membership number is in approximately 2,500 to about 3,000. We're in our 20th year here in Vancouver. I'm from Toronto. My mom's from St. Vincent. My dad's from Trinidad. So I'm a person of color. Given yeah, my relatively decent family, religious family, very hardworking parents. Being a person of color, I used to be picked on a lot. I used to get beaten up, called all kinds of derogatory names. Just one particular day, I was near a fence and this fellow went by and grabbed me. I was about seven. So I was abducted and sexually abused at that time. A few months later, a family member of mine helped me under some water in a bathtub. I could just remember looking down and seeing what was happening. And that was just before my eighth birthday. My first suicide attempt, I was around my eighth birthday. The thought in my head is, my life is like this now. What's the rest of my life going to be like? When I was about 10 or 11, this pedophile got his hands on me again for about a year. All this time this was happening, I was like literally afraid of my shadow. It was really, really just a mess. A couple of more incidents happened, and uh, I remember making it all to myself that I was never going to let anybody get close to me, hurt me, or touch me ever again. I grew up on the streets. You know, I took off from home when I was 15. Through my teens, I had a lot of problems, started using and stuff like that just so I could maintain. Got in trouble with the law. I went into the military for seven, eight years. I was disappointed with that. <laughs> I kind of disillusioned after a few tours overseas and seeing what the world was about and what my country was about. Came back home, traveled around for a bit. I ended up going to university when I was about 40 and things wasn't working out. And I just had this feeling coming over again that I just wanted to check out. So. A friend was already here, so I took a bus out here. Things were going okay for about two months, and then all of a sudden it was like somebody just pulled a rug out from under my feet. My whole reason for coming out here was to off myself because it was getting to be too much, having all this inside and can't get it out. So I came down to the east side. I hadn't done any heroin since I was in my 20s or something like that, and I bought a package. So I went home, ate my meal, and I did my shot. And I remember collapsing and lying there and then everything going to black. And then in the morning time, I knew it was morning time because I could hear these birds. After that, I fell into extreme deep depression. And um, I was walking down Hastings and I came by this place with some people hanging outside. Well, oh, this looks interesting. People look like me. So I came in and asked, what is this place? What do you do? And the girl behind the desk said, no, oh, it's Van Du, Vancouver Network of Drug Users. She was telling me what to do, you know, activism and drug policy and harm reduction and stuff like that. And, you know, probably why I've made it so far is because most chance I got, I would 
you know, help out and go and volunteer. And she was telling me about it. And she said, well, we have a meeting tomorrow. And why'd you come by? So I came back and it was like 50, 60 people in this room. And they were talking about things that I've always thought about. And never heard anybody talk about, about harm reduction. I and mean, I've never heard anything like that. So I just kept coming back and coming back. And I've been here about 12, 13 years now. And it's been really great, you know. I've more or less found myself or got in touch with myself. I just feel so much gratitude for the organization and the people here. I've come to be really a staple, you could say, in the community. This is my home. I'll do whatever I can to help this community, drug users, non-drug users, anybody that I can for this community. And my name is Kim Hines. One of my nicknames is Hothead because I can get hot-headed about injustice. I'm a member of the Committee 10 Homelessness Victoria. I helped develop Thaw Victoria, Transform Homelessness Advocacy Watch, which helps remind community to help watch out for each other, that we need to be very careful about the police state and the imperialist state that we're living under. I'm an anti-poverty activist. I'm a transgender person who's also a parent of a daughter who's 14. I'm a visitor here in the Guangan Masonic Territory, also known as Victoria. And I'm also an environmentalist and stand with Indigenous people here locally to help stop Kinder Morgan. Like Cynthia, I'm on the Lived Experience Advisory Council, and we are also part of the Lived Experience of Homeless Network. I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm a settler Acadian on my mom's side. And my dad, as far as I understand, although I have not confirmed it yet, is Métis. Many of us are survivors. My mom, she married at 17. He was violent with her. He hit her once when she was pregnant with me. When she left him, she became a vulnerable, poor mother. And I'm a child abuse survivor of sexual abuse. A lot of the early abuse I went through, I blocked out. I'm kind of grateful that I kind of blocked out most of it. The body has a tendency to protect itself. My mom, she ended up having to flee Winnipeg. That's when I was about 9, 10. My mom would get in another relationship with a man who would end up being abusive. She knew that and left him and had to flee. We have family violence in our families. It's generational, and it's because of this freaking colonial system. Between 10 and running away from home at 15, I would have so many instances of men trying to sexually assault me. The first time I tried committing suicide was just before I ran away from home. I took a bunch of my mom's pills, and I thought they were a certain type of blood pressure pill, but it turns out they were a vitamin pill. And I'm grateful to this day because it would have been a hospital for sure, but I survived that. So yeah, I ended up being a teenage runaway at 15. And it wasn't because my mom was a bad mom. There was no resources and she was depressed. And it was hard to have to be kind of like the adult. And for some reason, I was picked in the family to be the adult. I tried again with my family and then would end up running away to the streets of Calgary at about 16. It was just a thing about surviving. I would hook up with sex trade workers. I tried to be a sex trade worker. I couldn't because I had too many issues. That was way too triggered. And let me give you a context. I was a girl, a female, a woman, a young dyke, very butch, very tomboy. And then I ended up becoming a fundamentalist Christian. That went sideways. And then I would see at the church my first action by lesbians, a protest. I didn't know that I was gay at the time, believe it or not. And within a certain amount of time, it's a long story, but I would end up getting kicked out of the church because they began to see that I was maybe queer. And I ended up getting kicked out of the church at 16, back to the streets. And that's when things went really bad. I couldn't do anything with the sex trade. I was coming out as a queer. Um, I was a mess. And so the only thing I could do was sell drugs. I got really bad fast. And I overdosed twice. 
something that a counselor told me. She says, Kim, I want you to consider something. I want you to consider that it's possible that maybe you doing those drugs over those years helped keep you alive until you can get well enough to be able to be where you are today. And for a lot of us, actually, that is true. And it helps us get through. We hit bottom and detox, and then we can get help. One really last important thing, feminism saved me. Radical feminism, when I hit bottom and detox and came out of there, I had an instinct towards activism and my rights. And radical feminists put their arms around me. Radical dykes at the time, radical women of color who were heterosexually identified. And they really helped get me through those years. And I'll just wrap it up, but they call me post-traumatic stress disorder from early abuse, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, irritable bowel, all these things. But it is from a system of poverty and oppression that my mom had to suffer through, that my siblings had to suffer through, that my comrades have had to suffer through. And that's why we're activists. Thank you, all three of you, for sharing those powerful stories. Let's turn now to The Walk. Talk a little bit about where the idea for The Walk came from and what the organizing is looking like in Victoria, Vancouver, and Kamloops at this point. I was on Facebook with Al Weave, who's part of the Lived Experience Homeless Network, and he was pretty upset about something that happened in Manitoba about government cuts. And so he said, what are we going to have to do, walk? Are we going to have to go and do a walk and circle the city and shame them? And at first I was like, why do we have to do the walk? Like, we're already suffering and barely getting through a month. And I thought about it for a couple of days, and I thought, wait a minute, that's actually not a bad idea because we need to build relationships with each other. And I don't know about where you are living, but in our areas, there's no public space. It's very difficult to even get space for free. And when we do, oftentimes, it's very short term. So for us to be able to build relationships, not only with each other as peers, but with community, it's very difficult because everything is controlled. So... We've been, as lived experience of homeless people and homeless people, trying to organize more from the ground up with ourselves. We need to take on the leadership and learn how to be leaders because we're so socially stigmatized and patronized. And Martin Luther King, so the Poor People's Campaign, I kept up with that years ago, the Martin Luther King campaign from the 60s. And one of the things that he said that a lot of people don't know is he said that when I realized there were more poor white men than poor black men in America, this was not merely a race issue. And he started asking all of us to come together, people of color, all poor, people who are white, people who are indigenous, people who are from all countries that were colonized, people who are poor, to come together and walk to Washington and basically get homes built and a livable income. It was basically an economic systemic change. That's what he was asking for. So I thought, let's do a walk and let's call it the poor person's walk because we are in Canada. We have to place ourselves. I didn't feel comfortable calling it the same as what they're calling theirs down south. So I put out the call and I asked people on the Lived Experience Homelessness Network. And I said, hey, let's do this. And someone in Kamloops, one of the allies there that Cynthia works with, helped me do the Facebook pages. And we just put it out. The idea was quickly discussed on the Lived Experience Homelessness Network Facebook page. And I started laying out boundaries that people were asking for who were on the streets. Things like security culture, that we would have our own security culture. There was a walk for the Salish Sea that happened here four years ago. And I reached out to folks who were part of that. And we were lucky to have a booklet. And I sent it out to Cynthia and other people. And it's called Organizing Walks and Pilgrimages. And it's by a fellow named Yeshua Moser from a group called Nonviolence International. And it goes through how to do a walk and why people do a walk. And it was so bang on to why we are doing it. 
I felt it was really important for us as lived experience to be able to go out there and walk around and say to people, we are suffering with social stigma and we are strong people and we need to talk. Like We need to talk to each other and not allow the system and the media to control our stories because that's what's happening and they lie. The media lie, the police lie to the media about what's going on on the ground. It affects everybody. And I've never experienced such bad social stigma. I mean, we're in a really, really bad place in BC. We're in that housing crisis. We're in an overdose crisis. We're in an economic crisis. So we need to be active. People need to see something different than what the system is saying. And even though we're each of us struggling ourselves, we're made stronger by doing something together. So we put out the call. And then as we you know, went to all the faith communities, we've had really beautiful response. People are responding quite lovingly. We're now starting on July 25th. We're doing five days in Victoria, and we're going to start in the downtown, go through all these different areas, James Bay, Beacon Hill, Fairfield, Fernwood. We're going to keep zigzagging through, go through into Esquimalt, and then we're going to head to the ferries, to the Schwartz Bay Ferry. And the plan is that Vancouver is reaching out to Burnaby and Surrey, and the hope is that they would start in Vancouver, go through Burnaby, meet us in the Sawasan Ferry, and then together we go to Surrey. A lot of people want to go to Surrey because they are really under the gun there. I mean, we're already dealing with bad social stigma everywhere. Everybody can tell you that. However, in Surrey, it's been really hard. Maple Ridge as well. We want to end there in solidarity and help them who are under even worse suffering than us. We've been going to community also because every day we're going to do a session, for example, decriminalization, overdose crisis, rights in housing. So we're offering uh, sessions and workshops in each community, and we're working with each community about which one they want in their community. And that's a big part of the building relationships. And also the faith communities, you know, for example, we're trying to do a labyrinth walk the first night of our walk in James Bay. So we're really kind of reaching out so that each stop we take and each spot on the path, we're going to have stories about local historical and historical moments that have occurred to help educate people about some of the Indigenous land that we're on and some of the stories as well as some of the Canadian stories. Kim came to our board meeting with the idea Everybody was right away, right down with the idea of doing the walk. So we had another meeting afterwards talking about the logistics and what to do. So we were going to do a shout out to other organizations and people, you know, renters, unions, poor people's groups, different groups, and then have a meeting with all those groups and really hammer out more logistics and be ready for the walk. We were planning on doing a walk through Vancouver and making some allies in Surrey or in Abbotsford and have them walk and then everybody meet up in Surrey. Um, a lot of stuff has been going on over there, so we figured have the walk and on the way there, talk about the different communities that we're walking through and some of the problems that these communities are having and ending up in Surrey. Right now, we're still working. Nothing is finalized or solid. We're still working on it. We'll get there. For myself here in Kamloops, I'm kind of way behind. I've so far just got talking about it. I've been so heavily involved in my other projects here in the city. And then I can, well, I'm hoping that the cry I just put out on Facebook will get me some help here in Kamloops. So far, just myself and William James Turnbull that's working on it. I'm shooting for it within the next couple of days sit down and actually figure out how we are going to do our walk within the city. We still need to go out and get the permission from the chief because this is unceded disruptive territory. So mm -hmm. I want their permission before I dare to even tell the city about it. 
I resigned all of my other chairs and positions other than the lived experience stuff because this is my focus, this is my life, this is what I am meant to do. Maybe to close, why don't each of you talk a little bit about what you hope comes out of the walk? What I hope comes out of this walk is that we build relationships in each of our communities with each other and do it on our own ground and help learn from each other that we're open as we're walking to hear from each community, hear what they're going through, and then offer what we can to help because we have so many skills in the poverty community and lived experience homelessness community. Nobody needs to be left out. Everybody is really needed on this journey. And if anything, if we can be out there reminding others who are really suffering and struggling in isolation, we need you just as much as you need us. Come out, be brave, meet us out there, come and hang out. We're putting out the call to choirs in the faith community to come if they want during our walk and be a part of it singing. We're reaching out to unions, all the different community groups. And I love your idea, Hugh, and I've been trying to figure out how to do it here to try and bring together as many of the homeless in one spot. So that's what I hope to get out of it is community and all this stuff about reconciliation and all this stuff about the pipelines and salmon. It's more than just about human animals. We have concern for the salmon family in terms of the fish farms. We have concern about land and water in terms of pipeline. And we really want to build a relationship with Indigenous sovereign people. And we've been going to those folks as well and trying to let them know where we're at and getting permission and stuff. I would hope that we could bring to light this housing issue here in Canada. We have a lot of homeless here in Lower Mainland, but this problem is nationwide. It's almost been made so people are being invisible. You know, everywhere I've ever lived or gone, I have always sought out the street people because that tells me what that community is like. And they're invisible. I don't think that people should be invisible. I know what that's like, how you feel about yourself, how you see yourself in the world. And, you know, people should see themselves in the world. And the housing issue is another great problem here. It always boggles me why we don't have housing for everybody. We have to do something to raise this awareness, raise the awareness of the police and how they're treating people in these communities and just make allies and friends and have people know that they're not alone and they are part of a larger movement. A lot of people want that and don't have that to belong to a community. And I think that the poor people community, it's a great community. For myself, I was raised by a community, not a family. And that means that if your barn burnt down, somebody would come and help you rebuild it. We all reached out and took care of each other. And I believe that the world can do that if they really want to. For us, it's that the communities come back together and start working as communities, families, to get more housing happen, more shelters. My hope is, is that we can reunite this community and all these organizations and churches that is so many abundance here in the city. I want this community and other communities to realize that we are all human. You have been listening to my interview with Kim Hines, Hugh Lampkin, and Cynthia Travers about the Poor Person's Walk an action happening later in July in Victoria, Vancouver, and elsewhere in British Columbia. To learn more about it, search for The Poor Person's Walk on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 